Hey guys, welcome back to Digital Artcast. Um, thanks again for tuning in for another episode. It's always great to have you guys here. Um, I hope again, um, due to the continuous lockdown, that you guys are keeping busy and working on any projects that are keeping you sane at this point. Um, I know this is quickly getting to a way of life that we're having to get used to, but hopefully there is light on the horizon, um, some kind of goodness that's coming towards us that means that you know, we might get a chance to resume our normal lives at one point. Um, on today's uh, podcast episode, uh, you know, I always talk about, I mean, nearly every episode that I've been so lucky, I think, in the last year to speak to so many different people from different walks of life and different disciplines, uh, including some of my personal heroes. Um, and along that trail, um, I definitely get the honour to speak to some people I thought I would never get to speak to. Um, today is, is exactly that it is a conversation i'm about to have with uh someone i consider a living legend someone who um is an artist in his own right but has not maybe focused on the visual sides of things but more audio again uh you know previously we've had um a couple of guys on like darren cobb from Supergiant, who's worked on all these uh great games as an audio director and today i get to talk to another great audio director and uh just composer in general someone who's come on and gave up their time and i'm very honored that he's here um so if you guys could please welcome along um, today's guest, uh, Mr. Peter McConnell. Hey, Peter. Hey, Gordon. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. It's an absolute honor to have you here, and uh, thanks for giving up your time. Well, it means a lot to me. It's a great pleasure to be here. Yeah, awesome. So uh, I think this is definitely on the, the level of, uh, you know, some of the highest, uh, you know, or highlights that I've had in the, on the program, I definitely think, you know, I, th I think I actually probably reached out to you on Facebook to, to connect, uh, I think shortly after Psychonauts 2 was announced, um, just because, you know, you've had such a legacy and I think it just kind of pinged with the time to remind me that I was wanting to speak to you at one point about um, your legacy, the work you've done so far, um, not just with Tim and his studio or, or with other guys in, in the Lucas family, but also just the scope of stuff you've done in general across all mediums, um, because I mean, you've worked on um, quite a number of titles at this at this point. You've kind of had the the grace to kind of um, leave your fingerprints on some really legendary projects. So um, I'm hoping today would be a, a great insight for not only me but for my audience and, and obviously people that are also looking to maybe follow in your footsteps and get involved in the audio industry. So um, yeah, I think it'll be a good talk. I think it'll be a a good time, a good chat. So, yeah. Well, it all comes, on. comes from being, from surviving all these years. <laughs> the life that is a freelance composer. Yeah, it's got to be, got to be difficult in this climate. But then, of course, I've been told during the pandemic, especially that games are booming. So I'm hoping that uh, you're getting kept busy at least, or, or at least you're, you know, you're, there's work coming in that's, that's keeping you, you know, steady at least or, or, or on your feet. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm one of the few people it makes me somewhat guilty to feel guilty to say that uh, my life hasn't changed very much in the last. Uh, well, yeah, I think it's, especially in games, I think it's def. I know film industry friends of mine are definitely struggling in some respect oh, yeah. because you have to physically film, but then with games, yeah, the, the production doesn't really stop because you can still get to a computer screen. So, um, that can still continue so yes we're, it's, we're yeah. very lucky to be able to work and uh yeah i yeah. I, I feel like my son is keeping me uh, employed actually because right. he's become a real real good at hearthstone you know <laughs> uh, okay. well also it's one of my my favorite games hearthstone it's i've played it for 
I think probably since its inception of 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 uh did you were you initially involved in the the kind of overall just the musical theme were you one of the kind of main composers on that project uh yes i i i've done uh, pretty much all the in-game music and the theme for hearthstone fantastic yeah, yeah that's great that, i mean uh, that was uh you know now i can't remember the first year but it's been it's been <laughs> going uh it's been a while so yeah it's, it's definitely been, going a while it's been a great privilege to work on that project uh course, yeah, yeah. Well, others over the years for sure of course yeah well i mean i mean you can kind of take us back because i mean we talked about this kind of off air before we started recording but you know uh you got your start by going to harvard right to, to study um audio game audio was it was it specifically or was it just electronic composing or no well in those days uh i, I hate to say how long ago it was but um <laughs> let's put it this way i missed the opportunity to see the clash in harvard square which i'll, I'll <laughs> never forgive myself for oh um, god yeah uh and uh but um uh yeah in in those days uh games were were um a game called zor right. that okay. that you could play on a on a on a pdp 11 pd uh, a digital equipment corporation machine called a pdp right uh and uh it was strictly uh in the you know it was strictly a, a niche thing that that the geeks the 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 mit types and the and the you know engineering types uh right. Oh, we're we're all in on it and and um you know i i went i actually went to harvard to major in physics uh and uh oh, wow. and i was uh uh you know and got interested in that and but the thing was that i i, I had sort of a conversion experience uh sophomore year as, as people will have <laughs> yep <laughs> and i realized that that you know i had spent a lot more time uh, you, you know, I, when I, I had spent a lot more time doing music when I, when I'd been younger than I was sort of giving myself credit for. And that, right. uh, it, it didn't really think about it. And, uh, uh, until, you know, weeks would go by when my guitar was sitting next to my desk, but it wasn't being played because I was too busy doing pro problem sets. Uh, right. and, uh so I, I, I had this one, I had a several sort of, um, you know, kind of uh, moments of realization that year. But the one of the big ones was um, uh, Yo-Yo Ma was actually a music tutor at, at the house that I was in. They call them houses. Basically it's a big dorm. Right. Uh, and uh, so he, he was a, he was a music tutor at that time and no one had heard of him yet. It was like this guy, you know, someone's going to, he's going to be the, the world's greatest cellist. This was just, right. was the word. And, uh, and he was right there in our house and, and, uh, he gave a free concert, um, uh, one evening, like a Thursday evening or something. It must've been a Thursday evening um, right. because I had a problem set due the next day. And, uh, and, that concert was down one flight of stairs from my room and I could have gotten up, walked down one flight of stairs, gone through some oak doors and sat down and uh, been about as far away from Yo-Yo Ma as I am from my keyboard right now. And, uh, and, but I didn't do that. 
<laughs> it was kind of like I didn't see the clash either. Um, yeah, I didn't do that because uh, you know I was too busy doing my problem set, and I really it was due, and it was really hard. It was due the next day, and I was probably going to pull an all nighter on it, and I just couldn't take the break to go see Yo Yo Ma play. That you know, if in in the moment it didn't really sink in what a messed up set of priorities that was, but um, <laughs> but it it became clear that you know where my sort of heart and soul were headed uh was different from doing uh science and uh so i took some time off and actually played uh music uh in the streets you know as a busker um and uh had various odd jobs and sort of got my head together you might say and came back and made music um fantastic yeah yeah i mean that's i mean similar story i think for people in general i know there's always a time where you know, people will have dreams or ideations that they want to go do one particular thing, but then, of course, do something else. So, I mean, I know for me personally, and I don't want to talk about me in this podcast, but for example, you know, I was an engineer mm -hmm. until I was 28 years old. Mm -hmm. And then I left that because I watched a lot of the documentaries at the time that were coming out, um, including the Double Fine one for Double Fine Venture. And I left my job to go chase my dream of working in games, which I'm now experiencing so I went back and retrained the university as a, an artist and now I'm doing that. So, I mean, I definitely feel like it's more, I mean, back then you feel like it was weird, but I think it's very commonplace now for people to have, you know, like a career for 10 years and then switch and then do something completely different with their life. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, I think it's very, I mean, like I know I, 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 there was a, an article years ago about a, a police officer who got sick of the grind of being a cop and actually put him through, put himself through medical school to mm -hmm. become a doctor. Wow! Because he wanted to wanted to really save people and didn't feel like he was doing it as a cop, so he done it as a doctor. So, yeah, it's uh, cool. Well, yeah, uh, actually, a a a good friend of mine who is uh, orchestrator for um, has been orchestrator for a lot of uh, double fine titles that I've worked on. Um, mm -hmm. I worked with him for a good long time. Uh, Kareem Elma Moody, he's a fantastic orchestrator down in LA and he actually quit, um, his job at eBay. Uh, geez, I don't remember when it was probably, probably around 2000. Uh, so right. that's 20 years ago now, but, but, you know, he had a full on career as a, as a working at eBay as an engineer and he just left it and went to USC film school. If I remember correctly, wow. his shingle and now he's an orchestrator and he's a fantastic one. So it, it really, um, it really is, uh, you know, you can't come in place. Yeah. yeah. You can, you know, you, if, if you don't like what you're doing, it is possible to change sometimes, you know, it can be a lot of hard work for sure, but, um, yeah. uh, it's worth it if that's really where you're, you know, where your passion uh, lies, where your passion lies. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think it's very commonplace when you see people leave those kind of jobs. I mean, one of the most famous ones I think we talk about is, uh, um, Alec Rickman, who's now passed the, the great actor, but he was a graphic designer in London until he was in his forties, and then he left that to become an actor. Wow! Um, and one of his first major roles was was Die Hard. So I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, it's like these things can happen. You just have to believe that you can change your life. And right. I think it's always one of these things when I bump into people in, in the street now who I went to school with who are like, "Oh, you know, you still in the railway? You still working as an engineer?" And I'm like, "No, no, I've." Yeah, like last time I came back from Lightbox, like, oh, I've just came back from LA. I was just, you know, doing a tour of Blizzard. I'm, I'm working on some games. And I'm like, oh, God, you know, so it's, I'd rather have those conversations than a lot of people who are just like, you know, um, like, oh, you know, just working along, you know, same thing. So, um, yeah, and you, when you look back, I think your legacy of stuff you worked on, it's always, 
you've kind of got to pinch yourself sometimes to think, wow, you know, I've really got to work on some amazing projects. And that's the thing I kind of want, you know, when I'm looking back is to think, you know, the, the what did I get to do with my life? Was it interesting? Was it something that I was proud of? So, um, and of course you, you know, I mean, starting on something like Monkey Island, you maybe no thought that, you know, you were going to eventually be working on all these different titles, but um, was that was that a, an idea you had when you were changing a major? Did you want those games and interest at the time, or no? There, there, well, there's about a six year gap there. I mean, uh, I I, right. I took a year and a half off, and then I, uh, and then another semester, um, uh, and um, and uh, so essentially, I graduated two years late, um, and uh, I, I wrote a, a sort of a thesis of songs that I recorded. With uh, with uh, my housemate Michael Land, um, and uh, uh, then I had a diploma, and uh, <laughs> and I had to find employment. And it's you know it was a long. It's actually a. It was actually quite a long uh, journey for me. I I got a job uh, out of school uh, working for a company called Lexicon, which um, they make. Uh, they still. Uh, a version of them, I guess you would say, make, makes black boxes that musicians play their instruments through. And oh, okay, right, yeah, yeah. So if you go to any, you know, uh, you know, when I go into Skywalker Sound and I go to go to the control room in the big stage, there's a Lexicon controller still there because uh, that it Lexicon reverb is still kind of legendary in the big studios, right? Um, and so I, I had uh, since I had. <laughs> since the, the the music diploma wasn't great for getting i hate to say it i wasn't great for getting a job uh but but the but the uh technical know-how that i had acquired um as a physics major did help some and um so i was able to get this job at uh, at uh, at lexicon um and uh and uh you know i worked basically programming doing audio programming uh for uh, reverb units, so something called the PCM 70. Uh, I worked on that and, uh, uh, a couple of other boxes, um, that lexicon made at the time. And that was a right. really, you know, it was my first real job and it was, I was essentially an engineer. Um, and so in some ways it was kind of a walk back because, you know, I had left the world of physics to study music, but I was still trying to figure out how you actually get paid being a musician and I kind of wanted to be a rock star. Um, and that, right. that is a, I mean, people do become rock, rock stars, but it's <laughs> not, not always obvious how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so, so, um, the next best thing for me at the time was to, to, uh, you know, write audio software, which was at least connected to audio and got you uh, in touch with people who are doing music. Uh, and, right. and to have a band, uh, you know, outside of work. Uh, and I had a band that Michael Land was in again. And, uh, and uh, we both worked actually at Lexicon. And uh, then he went out west. He came out here. That's in the Boston area. And uh, he came out and uh, we were going to start a band together uh, out here with another friend, a friend of his, Clint Bajakian. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, but he also needed to find gainful employment. So he answered an ad in the paper, uh, for an audio, uh, an audio programmer, uh, mm -hmm. 
for this little company called Lucasfilm Games. And uh, when I came out, by the time I, I made it out here, it took me a little longer than him. Uh, right. Uh, he was basically starting the audio department there. And he's, you know, he said, you know, you got to come see what I'm doing uh, because it's pretty interesting. Uh, I, we, I'm doing this. I have to write a new music system for this, for this game. And we, I write the music for it. And uh, so um, at the time I was still doing sort of uh, what you might call consulting work for Lexicon, but I came out and saw um, monkey, the beginnings of monkey two. Wow. And, uh, and uh, I was like, wow, this is really cool. And, uh, and he's like, I can't do this alone. We, I, I need some help. And, and plus if, if, you know, if you, if you, uh, if you get a job here, we'll get to write some music for this. And I thought, wow, you know, actually getting paid to write music was just, you know, uh, I mean, really the only professional music and now I'm 30. So it's, I'm, I'm not a young, you know, not super young anyway. Um, yeah. uh, and, uh, uh, really the only pay that I'd ever received for, for, for doing music up to that point had been playing in the subways in Boston. Um, so, uh, I was like, wow, this sounds great. You know, this is fantastic. And, and so I interviewed and got the job and, uh, uh, and, uh, we started working on this system together that eventually became the IMU system. And, and really it's Michael's brainchild. Uh, uh, but I provided some pretty valuable design, um, uh, insight that was based on the code that I had written. Um, mm -hmm. or the, or not really the code, but, but the approach to, um, to, uh, it's, it's kind of a technical thing, but in a game, there's a, there's a host, there's a host software and, and there's sort of the, the game or the music system and drivers beneath that. And, mm -hmm. uh, in a, in one, in a, in a reverb unit, there's a, there's a master processor and then a, a, a subordinate processor that, um, mm -hmm that uh and those two things talk not in a fashion not unlike the host and the music system so uh, i was able to uh that sort of way of working was familiar to me um mm -hmm. even not get not to get too technical about it but that uh right. was a contribution that i was able to make um to uh uh, uh had to do the system the thing yeah exactly so yeah and that's something that we developed over some years and we brought in a a a, a really fantastic programmer named Michael McMahon, who, uh, uh, you know, helped build the whole flesh out, yeah, yeah. flesh it out. Yeah. And it, you know, uh, like took me yeah, I mean, five years actually to get it and it's more, more or less solid. Uh, yeah. I was going to say though, because for me, particularly when I do 3d art, I mean, I do feel like in that realm of creativity, you have to almost be using both sides of your brain, right? You know, you've got the, the creative side but there's a technicality to the art as well so you know there's menus there's buttons there's systems so yes do you did, did you feel like your your origination in physics or understanding and engineering was that something that helped build a path for you to program music within games do you think that was something that helped you along the way well absolutely and i mean it's kind of a cliche to say you know the old connection between math and music but it's definitely a thing and uh yeah. It, it it's uh especially when it comes to composing or you know creating a structure um and uh and so uh and in what we kind of thought of ourselves as doing and michael um uh 
I think felt the same way about this, that, that we were uh, essentially building a sports car that we would then get to drive. <laughs> right. And, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, so that's, and it was really, and it really was more about the driving part <laughs> than, than the yeah. part, you know, it's like a, a very interesting problem to, to solve, um, you know, the problem of how to do m- m- interactive music. Um, uh, they call it adaptive music now. And I, I still use the term interactive for reasons I won't get into right now, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, in any way, uh, uh, adaptive music, um, was an interesting, uh, problem to solve. And, um, it, you know, with the technology of the time, um, but it was really an ends, uh, a means toward an end. Uh, and, mm. uh, we were re- and, and the, our whole, our goal in doing it was always to make it as, as, um, intuitive for the composer as possible, because, you know, when you're, you know, when it's three in the morning and you, and you have a deadline the next day, the last thing that you want to do when you're trying to write music and, and, and get it to work in a game and is, is, slam excuse me is it's to slam over into the the uh into your left brain and start writing a c script um uh so uh which was what we did in some of the early incarnations of the system so we always were trying to make it more uh user-friendly and more art you know artsy if you will uh and uh uh and you know and there are a number of systems today that that um are sort of, you know, carry on that torch in a big the same way. tradition of what you've done. Yeah, I mean, if you could break it down to kind of layman's terms for people who maybe have played the games but no notice what was going on in the background, what was the kind of theory behind iMuse? It was almost like a dynamism, right? It was the, the instruments would come and go in the score as you entered or left different locations. Was well, the yeah, kind of base of it? Yeah, yeah. There were two things that there were two things about it. Uh, there was the um, there was there was which instruments came and went, um, yep. or which parts were playing at a time, and then there was also where you were in the piece. So there were there were musical ways to jump around in the piece that were that were that were based on the musical structure. They're measure based or or phrase based. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so that no transition would would seem to um, would seem to be jarring or harsh, uh, mm-hmm. but it would simply uh, but it would simply it, it, our our metaphor f- for it was the pit orchestra, and the, I played in a pit orchestra for the musical Bye Bye Birdie when I was in high school, and uh, uh, which is a really great uh, musical if you haven't seen it. Yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And I was in the violin section. And so, you know, you have a score in front of you. Um, but every so often, um, uh, you know, the conductor will, the, 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 the orchestra has to lead the people on stage, but it also has to follow them. And there'll be situations where, where you know, uh, the, the conductor will be like, okay, we're playing this vamp, you know, for, for, um, uh, he probably would give these instructions ahead of time, but uh, play this vamp until I give the signal, and then we go to the next thing, right? Right. And uh, that until I give the signal, and then we go to the next thing is is um, kind of the heart of what the IMU system was all about. Um, right. Uh, so that so that you are changing the music according to what's happening on stage, 
Um, but not, but in a way that also follows the score. That's like, okay, when we get to the repeat sign, that's when we're going to jump to the next thing. Um, right. So that, that's, that was kind of our metaphor for that. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, we definitely took that as far as we could take it, um, given the technology of the time and stuff. Yeah. Was that something that was also implemented back in, or you had a chance to revisit when you done the remastered version of Monkey 2 and the other systems that were using similar structure? Did you get to revisit or reinvent that wheel? Well, the, the remastered version of Monkey 2, I wasn't that involved in, uh, to oh. be honest with you. That was that was Jesse Harlan and Will Roger, and, um, who are both fantastic composers. Uh, they they had some, um, uh, they essentially uh, wanted to take the music that was already written and make it, uh, you know, make it and come as close to the, the sort of uh, MIDI versions of the music uh, right. with, with live music as possible. I did, I was one of the uh, performing musicians on it. I played, I played a little bit of uh, improv violin for, for right. Bessie on, on monkey Two uh, remastered. But I, but other than that, I wasn't really involved in that particular uh, right. release. Yeah. I mean, I take it, well, you've obviously had this career, obviously where you got to work on the, all the originals, but then, was there a few you got to revisit? Was it mostly through Double Fine? So stuff like, I'm trying to remember specifically what they done, but it would have been the Full Throttle remaster was one and Grim was the other, right? Full Throttle, Grim, and Day of the Tentacle. Right, okay, yeah. So, I mean, was it weird going back to those projects almost 20 years later? Like, was that something that, was it like riding a bike again? Like, did you find your feet really quickly or did you have to put yourself uh, back into uh, that no, mindset it, it all it was kind of like oh boy there it is just like yesterday um uh, <laughs> uh what's funny um with some of the with some of the day of the tentacle stuff like some of that um older material like day of the tentacle and um uh indiana jones for uh mm-hmm. not so much mucky too but we like i said we i didn't really work on that with double time fine the funny thing was in some cases we couldn't remember who wrote which tune <laughs> oh right okay <laughs> that, the, the, the thing that I, I didn't really mention was with the the uh the early uh lucasarts years uh when M- michael brought me on board and then uh he also or we also brought clint uh the the michael's friend from high school that that right. uh, we were going to do the band with and instead we ended up doing uh you know what you might call the lucasarts band and right uh, uh, so what, and we had for Indy, for Indy and Monkey and, uh, and Day of the Tentacle and to a lesser extent, a slightly on, on, uh, uh, on, um, Sam and Max, but that was, um, that was mostly Clint was Sam and I did some on that anyway, but on these earlier ones, we had sort of a way of, 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 uh, we wrote together, we wrote as a trio. So right. we, and, and now typically we would have spheres of influence. Like, um, I think my Island was booty Island and monkey Island. You know, we, we, we right. had sort of, you know, places that we were mostly in charge of, but we, we, there were actually, we would actually even share tunes like, like the Largo P the Largo theme. It was something that, um, you know, Michael and I wrote together. Right. Um, it was sort of like, a 
uh, you know, he came up with, he came up with something that needed a bridge and our, uh, and, uh, and actually the bridge ended up being him and the main theme ended up being me. But anyway, it was like, we, we, um, uh, uh, we would sort of toss things back and forth. If we were, if someone was stuck, someone else might, might do some work on it. Um, right. but, but, uh, it, we were all three, um, uh, mostly we wrote our own stuff, but we were all three working together on, on these scores. And, and, had, uh, and this was also true of, of X-Wing and TIE Fighter. We all wrote, right. we all, all wrote cues, uh, and, uh, just kind of intermingled them. Uh, so, and Indy, Indy four. So, uh, that was the way we started. And then we, then we, after, um, I think it was, uh, um, it was probably after Indy, um, that we sort of uh, started to divvy up the projects and have one project be one composer and a trend, uh, one project be composed by one composer. And right. uh, so um, Sam and Max, I think, was a transition transitional uh, title. And Full Throttle. One of my favorite plug and click adventures, I think, oh, yeah. was ever with Sam and Max. Yeah, yeah really good. Crazy, uh, crazy. Um, crazy world it's really uh really yeah. awesome. um and full throttle as well like i think full throttle was one of the the few where the music was almost like a main character itself right because it was a biker gang because right. rock was, you know part of the the life of those guys like music for that especially was like the gone jackals for example that gone jackals theme is like you know that's almost recognizable in itself outside everything else yeah, we're so lucky we didn't get Soundgarden. Uh, that's what I know. I remember hearing that story when you told it, and I was like, yeah. "Oh God, that would have been so good." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it would have been cool, but then it, it would have been like you know, the music wouldn't have. Uh, well, it's just the 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 um, the Gone Jackals is more. Uh, you know, ultimately they hold up as being more raw and more. Um, more directly connected to the soul of the game. I mean, Keith, yeah. the the band leader, actually did drive the demo tape tape up to LucasArts on a bike. <laughs> and I, I remember, uh, I remember, uh, you know, obviously being impressed with that. Here's this guy, you know, with the, with the leathers and everything, and all black. Yeah, and pulls up on a bike and and yeah. hands a cassette tape, and uh, I still threw it in the pile of cassette tapes um mm-hmm. and uh and uh would listen to the tapes while i was uh we had a pile of demo tapes from a bunch of bands locally right and uh yeah uh i was driving to my own band rehearsal and popping them in and you know I'd pop one in mm-hmm. for a few seconds it doesn't take long to to know whether you're on the right track or not and throw them out yeah pop them in pop yeah them. and i remember i, I popped a uh, one tape in, and then it was. It's like okay, I think this is yeah. one, and it was, and it was, uh, it was uh, Keith's tape that he drove up on the bike. So, yeah. Um, uh, not only was I impressed with the presentation, but even after uh, even after a blind taste test, as it were, it, he really came out uh, as being the the right band for the for the game. Yeah, I could imagine. But it's, it's, you know, you say it yourself with the whole Soundgarden fiasco, but like, you know, I don't think that game would have lived with anything else but the Gonjackals now. It almost is like, it would right. just, it would seem like you're robbing it of something if you took that away. Almost like, you know, I mean, there wasn't 
you know, for instance, with Grimm, there wasn't anything particular or band-wise or big, well, I mean, it was kind of like big band, but it wasn't band-wise. Um, but then the whole jazz era of that, the kind of Casablanca feel, um, that was something that was almost in itself, again, a main character, the whole dramatic, you know what I mean? Like the whole uh, epicness of the score, um, the crescendos, and in, in fact, that would come in um, to stuff you were playing. Um, but then like, yeah, that whole, that whole jazz soundtrack was was something that I think has lived through the whole Grimm experience, right? Uh, well, I was that was uh, definitely, um, you know, that was an awesome project to work on. Um, the uh, uh, where do I start? Um, the oh yeah, exactly. The, where do you start? <laughs> the, theme that, the theme that you mentioned. So there are really two components of the score. There's sort of the orchestral, right. the orchestral component, which was um, honestly uh, a big disappointment. Uh, in terms of how it was realized, because we mm. we had a certain budget, and here I was writing orchestral music supposedly, and and you know, but we had to play them back on. Uh, we had to sort of record it on um, on um, uh, sample synths, uh, right? And that wasn't you know, it just wasn't optimal. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. But the but they but I still worked hard on that component, and um, uh. Tim had given me his collection, or, or loaned me his. I borrowed it for way too long. His his <laughs> his collection of um, noir films, Humphrey Bogart films. So, yeah. which was The Big Sleep, uh, Treasure of Sierra Madre, and wow. and uh, Casablanca. And I just watched them over those three films over and over and over and over again. And there's definitely yeah. some influence of Treasure of Sierra Madre in uh, that the Grimm score. And I actually mm-hmm. I. I uh, wrote or called um, uh, Warner Brothers in LA and got them to send me some copies of of the original Max Steiner themes uh, for right. for Treasure Sierra Madre and just really sort of uh, you know uh, submerged immersed myself in uh, in that music and and so what we did with that was, was, was sort of a mock-up you might say of, of the sound. Whereas the jazz, the other component um, we could actually afford to do live. And the um, you mentioned there, there not being a particular band in in a way there isn't a particular band, but in a way there is because the band in Grim Fandango is the mission district of San Francisco in uh, the uh, early nineties. And uh, during that time, um, and uh, funny thing, actually, Keith, Keith Karloff from the Gone Jackals w- actually managed one of those clubs. He was a night manager of one of those clubs that the uh, okay. down club. But there were there were right. all, there are all these clubs in the South of Market that played either acid jazz or straight on swing. Right, and, uh, and uh, you could literally walk um, from. You know, you could walk into one club and there would be um, acid jazz plays playing. You could walk down the street mm-hmm. and there would be um, the Red Hot Skillet Leckers, which was an incredible uh, swing band. You could go to another club and um, Ralph Carney, who was uh, who's um, Tom Waits's reed player, he'd be playing with his band, and he, he he's no longer with us, sadly. Uh, but mm. He played on the score uh, and. Um, you could uh, then you could go to a taqueria if you were hungry, and uh, and there'd be a mariachi band playing, and that's how I got the mariachi band. 
Um, so it was, wow. they're, they're basically all the musicians who played, uh, uh, on, uh, Grimm, uh, mm-hmm. with the exception of Hans Christian, who's, who's, uh, the, the cellist, uh, and a friend of mine and uh, I've worked with over the years. Um, mm-hmm. uh, all of the, all of the jazz musicians were literally walking distance apart in those days. Wow. On, on a Saturday. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like, I mean, there's just, I mean, that whole soundtrack, I think, you know, Grimm especially, I think is a good example because there is such a range, you know, it's, I mean, we talked about the big band moments or the stuff that is the the high end themes, mm-hmm. but then there's also stuff like, uh, like for instance, I'm going to, through the magic of, of Zencaster, I can play this track really quickly and uh-huh. talk about it a bit. This is one of my favorites that's called uh, Mr. Frustration. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Takes you back. Yeah. I mean, such a simple melody, I think, and such a simple part to even a downtrodden place in the game where you're not really paying attention to much. But right. the music always is pushing you forward, is making you think about where you are. And yeah. that one particularly is something I can have on in the background when I'm just thinking or studying. It does, it does transport me, I think, to probably where you would want people to be, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, that, that uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm very fond of that tune. Um, yeah, 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 it was. Uh, it, it is. It is. It is simple, although it sort of starts uh, in the middle uh, harmonically, which I always like. Um, yeah. And uh, um, it. So when I when I hear it now, I think of the players on it. Um, uh, in particular, um, the drummer, mm-hmm. um, a, a guy named Paul von Wagenigen, uh, mm-hmm. who was. Uh, uh, or von Wagenigen, um, uh, who was, uh, who was a Bay area drummer and toured all over mm-hmm. tremendous, tremendous player. He's, he's also no longer with us. Uh, uh he passed right. away some years ago. Oh. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, uh, the, the trombone player is a guy named Dan Armstrong. Uh, wow. He just, and then there's a, there's a second solo played by Bill Ortiz. Who's, uh, Who's for many years has played with uh, Santana, Carlos Santana. So it's oh, cool. real, um, you know, some really amazing Bay Area musicians on that, um, yeah, on that, uh, on that track, and um, uh, just uh, that's just one of those things that when it, you know some of those performances I hear now, and it's like wow, like, you know, because I've had a I've had the opportunity to record a lot of great live players since then. But there yeah. is something about those recordings, I have to say. Even even now, um, even though we were recording on whatever a four track Pro Tools system with, uh, or maybe it was a oh, track yeah. Pro Tools system, and uh, yeah. uh, you know, in our little our little studio, it just what the result that we got was just so wonderful. Part, you know, also partly due to the guy who uh, Jeff Climate, who was the who engineered everything, had worked at Russian Hill Recording uh, for. The, for uh, a number of years there's a real um there's a real rich legacy of of uh and tradition of musicians from the 60s on uh, right in 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 the bay area and uh yeah. now a lot of them are gone now sadly um but but some of them are still around and uh right and uh uh it's just uh ve- just very very lucky to to be able to work in such an i'm very lucky to be able to work in such an environment such amazing musicians yeah i know i know the feeling i mean i think every piece that in that whole score especially in grim i think 
sets you up for for whatever's coming forward. I mean, I know the one again I'm about to play is is the start of what is the second part of the the journey when Manny takes over his own casino. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean these casino caliber stuff. I mean, again, coming from a drummer side of it, I was always listening to these along when I was playing. Well, I'm also a former musician, um, but like. Yeah, a lot of these big pieces, these big band pieces, these were just, um, like I said, they were main characters themselves. They were pieces that, you know, you knew your time and place in the story. You knew where you were um, mm-hmm. dramatically with it, with them as well. So, I mean, there's just so many, right? I mean, it's hard to pick just one song that probably defines the entire soundtrack. But um, was there anything that you particularly found was like, was your favorite particular or one track that you still come back to or remember? Um, well... Certainly, the one Mr. Frustration um, uh, mm-hmm. uh, was a tune called "High Fan High Tone Fandango." I've always been a fan, uh, you know, I always like that one. Uh, the the um, uh, the the one you just played, Casino Calavera, of course, is kind of like the trademark song, and it's almost. I think a lot of people think of it as the theme of the game because it's just so sort of uh, representative of Manny and. And right that year to the culture day of the dead yeah and and uh it's it's very uh uh um you know it's it's and it's peppy and it's i i'm very fond of that tune as well and i was really glad that when uh when we did the remastered version that i was able to bring some of my uh favorite players in to uh to extend it and have a couple of extra solos because that was really yeah. that was really cool um to be able yeah to High Tone Fandango is one I'm not 100% familiar with, but um, again, it's... Yep. Ah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, it's what you hear when you're going outside at night. Yes. And that's... that's, that's uh, the old, uh, let's see. And then uh, call him, and we'll come in and play the back. We, we played uh, for this play now. Yeah, good show. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, was so, so much fun to make that, uh, I guess to call it, to make that record, uh, to, to yeah. do that score. And- well, I mean, it could be in itself. It is in itself. I think the, the, the soundtracks of these games sometimes live on in, in themselves. You know, people cannot maybe even appreciate the game, but the musical score is something that, uh, I mean, we, I talked about this with Darren Corb when we talked about Supergiant games and, and Bastion when they made that game way back in the day. I know the first thing I heard wasn't about the gameplay. It was the soundtrack that people were talking about, right? Oh, and it was the the music. So, um, yeah, and, and I think it is something, you know, I can throw on in the background and still enjoy it, you know, without the game running. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I, I do think of of the soundtrack of Grimm as, as being, you know, well, pretty much integrally knit with the game. And, and uh, uh, I, uh, so much of that, I mean, the whole idea to do, a lot to do jazz i think uh i think to some degree that came from tim and right. uh uh and uh, of course we did some some indigenous indigenous music as well it was something where where i you know i didn't want to try to pretend that culturally i was someone i wasn't so we you know we did do a little bit of andean music and 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 um and uh, the mariachi tune of course uh uh, and and a, and we have a charango, which is a, it's a it's that Tim's brother gave him. It was a it's a it's an instrument that's made out of an armadillo shell. Oh wow! That yeah. bring that little bring that you hear 
uh, every oh, okay. change screens or whatever. That's a Chirango. <laughs> uh, and uh, the Chirango, I think, uh, plays uh, in uh, in the mariachi piece as well. It's the Chirango, and if I remember right, it's Chirango and guitar and guitarone. Yeah. But um, uh, in in any case, it's a uh, you know, it's a it's a it's its own. It's a very unique sort of folk instrument. But I didn't really dwell on on that aspect of it because it was more like a uh, it was like a noir take on the Day of the Dead. So I was kind of bringing right. noir into it, which is a world I'm a little more familiar with, um, and uh, you know, in, inspired by uh, uh, you know. So that's that's where that's kind of where the jazz came from. I really owe a lot of that to Tim. He's just a real visionary. Yeah, I mean, definitely, it's uh, it's one of these things where, like I says, you know, the the soundtrack will live on in infamy. But then I think it's just it's uh, it's not only that the fact that there was a soundtrack; it was the fact that you were also at the helm. You know, you were one of the main influences of it. And I think you know, you know, Grim wouldn't look the way it looked, or maybe feel the way it felt without Tim. But it wouldn't sound the way it sounded without you. So I mean, it's definitely. You know, I mean, you owe so much to Tim, but I think the Tim owes so much to you in the same respect that you know his his games have always had this amazing um, presence because of the sounds of of the world that people live in. So, um, yes, it's definitely one of these things. I mean, you're talking about you know the the cult classics and the stuff you've done at Lucasfilm. When was your first journey to Double Fine? Was that was that with the first Psychonauts? Were you involved in that early yeah, on? Or was yes, that was that was uh, pretty much. Uh, well, we we all um, in two thousand was when um, two thousand was when uh, the Phantom Menace came out, uh, and right. and there were a number of us who 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 had been longtime uh, Lucas uh, folks. I mean, really ten mm-hmm. years. Um, uh, and, uh, and Tim and, uh, Tim and I were there about the same period of time, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and Michael, uh, Michael Land and Clint and, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, so when the Phantom Menace came out, there'd been a big, huge push to release, uh, the, the first, uh, prequel, uh, Star Wars prequel and, um, right. which we had all been involved in. Uh, and when it came out, it was just kind of a natural time for people who wanted to sort of try something new and um mm-hmm. you know kind of find their way in the world to go out mm-hmm. and do that and so that's what tim did and i left with michael and clint uh took over the department for a while and then he also went uh uh, uh independent as a composer and mm-hmm. um it was just it was just a transition time i mean we worked there uh many of us uh, Tim included work there much longer than one tends to work at a company in, in the, these days. Right. Um, and uh, so uh, we were ready to, to change. And Tim, um, uh, I, I actually did a st- internet startup with Michael, uh, which uh, nice. we both uh, lost our shirts in. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, a, a large part of the funding came from, from me writing music for games. So, right. uh, so writing music to, to support your high tech startup is usually not the way it's done. It's a little backwards maybe. Uh, right. Okay. But, uh, but that's what we did. And, um, uh, 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 so it, during that time when, when I was doing the, the, uh, the, uh, startup, uh, yep. uh, Tim 
found a double fine and started working on psychonauts and i you know immediately got involved pretty much almost from day on as soon as i was as soon as i was uh you know uh gainfully as soon as i was a self-employed dude uh, right. i went to uh to double fine and we started working on psychonauts uh one uh which you know was a it's such a wonderfully creative world it's a, you know completely um i think uh I think Psychonauts in, in some ways is, is, uh, I mean, it's just so incredibly original, um, in yeah. terms of, of what it is, what it's about, the, the world that it evokes. Um, and, uh, uh, so it was really, really fun to work on. We, we had some, we had some, uh, budgetary limitations because we were, you know, uh, at that time, Double Fine was, uh, basically literally working out of a garage where people right. people parked their cars and then climbed up uh, some wooden stairs to a cubicle that was exposed to the <laughs> to the auto fumes. uh yeah <laughs> hope tim doesn't mind the, saying this the early well. renegade days of, of game making so yeah. it was really it was quite renegade and um uh and and the, the garage uh had a big um you know that uh you know that big uh, garage door that's in um, that's in uh, full throttle. It's got the puzzle that you have to solve with the dog. Oh, yeah, with the padlock. Dog, yeah. And uh, anyway, the the garage door really bore an incredible resemblance to that particular garage door in full throttle. I was, oh, wow. it was kind of funny, but anyway, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that was the early days of Double Fine, and and um, we were all kind of you know, operating on a shoestring and looking forward to bigger and better things. And, and, uh, yeah. fortunately, uh, with a ton of hard work and a lot of years that happened. Yeah. I mean, like, no, it kind of skip ahead, but I mean, there is one in particular that, you know, I mean, for me, when I, it's one of the key factors that made me leave my job when I saw the documentary and even with the Kickstarter launch, but, um, if you walk into the world of broken age, mm. right, that was a big step for not only you as a composer, but, also for Tim as a game maker, right? Because the whole Kickstarter thing, the whole mm-hmm. self-funding, that whole, what seemed like forever, right? But it's what, about four years? Yeah. Um, how did, I mean, we kind of know how it started that Tim had the idea to back his own games, but was he talking about that to you earlier on about composing or was that something that, did you come after the whole uh, setting up the whole Kickstarter and the, and the self-funding was were you not late to the party but was was Tim no wanting to bring you until he knew that he had work for you or uh, uh, yeah well I mean you, you definitely uh, you, you don't want to get the composer involved too too soon or too late <laughs> right yeah uh, yeah because so- yeah, I watched the documentary so you were you came into the project I think not long after the art jam right the guys had been there Scott and yeah. Peter and the guys had been in jammed and then he brought you in to have a look and well if i remember if i remember correctly there were there had been you know i had been aware of some buzz about this was going to happen and um i think um i think you know tim can correct me if i'm wrong but i think he 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 was like a a guest at the dice awards or something like that and that's when he when he announced um uh that's when he announced broken age um which didn't, right. well, i don't i think it was 
I don't think it, I think it was just called the adventure game or something like that at that point, but, uh, Double fun adventure. Yeah. Fun adventure. Thank you. And, uh, yeah. and, uh, so he, he announced it and I, I sent him, uh, like a little email, I think after, mm-hmm. during the awards saying, Hey, congrats on, you know, announcing the new game. And, and he just responded back. So are you going to write the music for it? And, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, of course. <laughs> so, uh, is that, is that a thing though? Of, I mean, just in general, I'm trying to wonder that is Tim's world something that evokes something special in you that you've not found in any other games? Because I know sometimes you can get fantastical worlds in most games, but like you say, Tim's are very unique. So is there something about his games that brings out a different composer in you? There, there, there is. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of hard to explain. I don't think we've ever talked about it. I don't think, uh, uh, you know, and, and, you know, to be real honest, we've never worked that closely together. Um, he, he, mm. Tim, Tim leads by example, and um, he's very much a sort of less is more approach to um, to creative leadership. And I think he mm. leads through through example and inspiration. So, you know, for Grim Fandango, it was like, here's the art and I want you to watch these movies uh, mm-hmm. and um, and you know, let's see what you come up with. And, uh, hmm. or, uh, for Psychonauts, it was, here's this really cool, um, gypsy music or music, Roma music of, uh, yep. of, uh, there was a particular record that, that, uh, or well CD by then, but a CD that, uh, that I listened to over and over again, that was kind of, in, uh, uh, you know, inspirational because Raz's family are traveling uh, performers, and right. uh, uh, so um, uh, you know, in terms of the the working relationship with Tim, it's it's always mm-hmm. been um, you know he certainly lets me know if something isn't working, but right. um, but it's really uh, very. Um, it just there seems to be some kind of understanding that I can't explain, and you know, in terms of his uniqueness, I, I once heard a, 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 one of the uh, an operations manager at Lucas Arts uh, uh, called him the uh, called Tim the Orson Welles of the business, and I think that's a really I think that's a really yeah. apt um, description in terms of the level of art that Tim does, and um, uh, and it's something that for me is, um, you know, very special. And Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I do appreciate, uh, I do appreciate, uh, the tremendous good fortune that I've had to, um, work on his, on his, uh, games, on his vision. Yeah. And his stories and his, his writing and, and his, uh, you know, crazy imagination. Yeah. And of course now, you know, you're joining them again, you know, you're involved in Psychonauts too. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's like coming home every time, right? It's, it's, it's like a familiar, like a warm place, uh, or fuzzy place in your heart where like, you know, it's maybe where you do your best work because you feel that fuzziness, you feel that uniqueness and, uh, especially for Psychonauts, right? Cause I mean, it's even stranger, I think the fact that Tim creates these unique worlds every time, but Psychonauts is one of the few where, you're revisiting somewhere, right? You're coming back to somewhere you've already kind of, you've, you've laid down foundation for that sound and now you're building on top of it. Um, 
so to speak? Well, you know, it's 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 it, in a way, it's even better than doing Grim Remastered because uh, because I get to write a whole new score, and um, and uh, we've got a little big bigger budget this time around than uh, that right. did for Psychonauts One. Of course, big budget yeah. don't don't always make for the best music. You you never of course. know. But um, I will tell you that that I am uh, just super psyched about what we've been able to do, and we've we yeah. had. Uh, involved you know we've uh had uh uh the involvement of melbourne symphony orchestra again in australia and um yeah. some fantastic players in nashville and um uh we've got a, a song that we, we did with jack black which is I'm, I'm very proud of and uh yeah uh so there's a you know it's just i really feel like in so many ways, um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm very, very, I have to say, super grateful to Microsoft. Thank you, Microsoft, for buying Double Fine. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think I, I think I, I think I speak for everyone there, as far as I can tell. Yeah. But just like, oh my goodness, you know, where would we all be now if that hadn't happened uh, last year? Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so we're very, very um, fortunate to really be able to give this game the attention uh and that it deserves and uh yes the score the scope that it deserves and i'm i just you know i'm just psyched just uh, just really jazzed and uh you know we're we're still you know we're still doing it we're still working on it yeah Um, of course we're not done uh but uh we have done a lot of uh really nice recordings so far uh, really uh uh, killer recordings so these with it yeah i think it's always uh it was after we tim described that when he put out that almost comical short video where he was like <laughs> it was all black and white and he's like yeah microsoft came to us and said if he wanted a bunch of money <laughs> we were like yeah <laughs> i mean it's pretty i mean what else can you say right it's, that's, the kind of, that's the only selling point you need so i mean for me it was for me personally it was a bit weird because i know when they done that short documentary with two player about the original Psychonauts yeah. and that whole when Xbox let them go, you know, Tim having that conversation, trying to relive that moment where you get to stand in front of everybody and be like, there's no money left. Right. Um, we're out of money. You guys can stay here and keep working if you want for nothing. Or and he's like, Oh God, you can actually see people starting to relive that moment, you know, talking about it being, you can see them getting emotional again because they can remember what that felt like. Like yeah. the company was almost closing at the end of that game. And then, of course, uh, Majestico came back like last minute and, and bought them, but right. or bought or helped fund the game. But you know, it's like it's weird when I thought them going back to Microsoft. You know, almost felt like, well, why would you after the way they treated you? But then, of course, why should the sins of the father pay for it? You know, like it, it was a different company back then. It was a long time ago. You know, the world was different. The way business is done is different, and especially I've always said since Phil came in to run Microsoft or run Xbox, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like he has been a gamer forward kind of mentality and definitely has put that at the forefront. So, you know, I think that's why I could see why now Xbox would be a thing they would want to get involved in and Microsoft especially because they are very game focused. They're very entertainment focused. They're wanting to put their studios first and make great games. So, you know, although I had mixed feelings, I was like, oh no, I can understand why. And of course, like, you know, Tim doesn't want to spend the rest of his life constantly chasing money and constantly chasing funding and trying to get his ideas off the ground that he wants to have that financial backing and that kind of 
uh, helpful hand from Microsoft to, to fund these projects. So um, I think it's a good move overall. I think me and Lee spoke about it at the time when it just happened and Lee was the same. He was like, I'm, I think it's a good move for oh, Studio yeah, One. Absolutely. I mean, you know, what Tim told me is that he actually did a fair amount of due dill and talked to other people who had been acquired. And, uh, right. and he's, so, you know, Tim is, Tim is a rare combination of being a, a tremendously creative person and also a, really a very good businessman. And, uh, and, uh, he, he, uh, he really, uh, he really considered it very carefully. And, um, yeah. and, the like I say, the result is just, I, I couldn't be, I know I, I couldn't be more pleased with and 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 uh, yeah. they you know not to speak for them but the, uh, the impression of that for for double fine is is that phew you know oh man yeah, <laughs> uh, and, but I mean he he did talk about it at the the latest E three video they put out where he was like I did speak to studios and they did say like you know it's a very they give you money and just let you go on with your projects they're not micromanaging you they're not right. looking to interfere right. they just want to help you make the best games you can make so. If that's the consensus, then yeah. And I think it. I think also it's as you know, at least uh, as as far as I can tell from Tim, um, yeah. that it's it's uh, it has relieved him of of the necessity for being yes. you know the, the a globe trotting front man half the time for yes. a company rather than you know it actually lets him make games now, and I think I think of course. that's a. Uh, you know, I think that's going to show with uh, with Psychonauts too that that uh, yeah. how uh, you know the full the full force of of Tim and the entire team's creative uh, yeah. uh, potential uh, because uh, um, you know, like I said, he does lead by example, and I think uh, it's really uh, what's going on with this game is really really cool. Tim's a Tim's a shining light in this industry. <laughs> it's like he's yeah, he's yeah. one of these guys that even outside the games before I got involved in the industry, he was someone I, I definitely looked up to. And someone actually reshared um, a Twitter post that was it was Tim at one of the game awards, and I can't remember which particular one he had a tux on, and he was talking about something at the time. I'm assuming there was some kind of thing going on in the news, and he was like, "I wanted to just say it here at the at the award show just to reiterate if we weren't very clear in it." But fuck white supremacists, <laughs> <laughs> and I was, and I was like, yeah, like that's the kind of guy Tim is. Like he just puts his heart in his sleeve. He says it all as he sees it, and uh, he's always championed. You know, like even at the recent blog thing they've been doing online on YouTube, mm-hmm. they talked very, very concisely about crunch and about. He was like, we don't want to do crunch. We don't ever want to put people in that position again, you know, because he lived through the first Psychonauts, right? He understood what that done to people, how people were still living with that years later. So he's like, never again, never, ever again. So that also is, for us, especially as art, like me as an artist, that that is a thing I fear in games industry is that it is very commonplace to make people crunch and stuff. Um, and people yeah. people's lives are ruined over it, right? It's, it's a very, especially for you as a musician, right? You all have also deadlines that have you up late at night doing yeah, stuff? Well, so. You know, I put in three thousand hours working last year, so I can tell you that there, there are, wow. uh, you know, we we do work hard, um, and yeah. it's not my goal to put in those kind of hours. Believe me, it, of course. Uh, but yeah. uh, it's uh, and and uh, uh, yeah, I think you know you're <clears throat> you're either in a sprint or you're in a marathon, and uh, I'd much right. rather be in a marathon. 
in the sprint. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, definitely there's a there's a nineties mentality of making games that's carried through the last couple of years, and uh, I think we're trying to see, or we're seeing now, the death rattle of it. We're seeing the end of what used to be game production, and now into the the new generation of companies actually giving a shit about people. So. I'm glad that at least we're coming into that kind of scope now and, and people are starting to understand about, like, you have to have a life outside of your work. You want to have some kind of mental health equilibrium and, you know, you don't want to constantly be working. And, you know, I think it's also a bit worse for you because you're in the freelance gig, right? So, you know, you're t- saying yes to everything at one point because you don't want to pass up work or pass up an opportunity to make money because you need to pay your bills like everybody else. So, um Whereas people who are maybe in, you know, full-time positions at companies or have a Monday to Friday kind of thing, you know, you know, they're still working hard, obviously, but then they don't have to depend on going out and chasing the work, right? They they have the work come to them. So yeah. well, it's, uh, it goes way back. It goes way back, you know, to the, um, yeah. I mean, it's a thing in high tech in general, but, but I, mm-hmm. I remember one of the, one of the um, uh, LucasArts uh, uh, execs said, uh, you know, back in the day, said, "Hey, you can work any sixty hours of the week you want." Um, and, uh, uh, and 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 honestly, sixty was on the low side. Uh, yeah, some, I was going to say of, some of those uh, for some of those uh, projects. Um, yeah. So, um, anyway, yeah, it's yeah, you know, we've, we've all got to learn to to get a little balance into our lives, especially when you get to yeah. The, uh, you know, when you're of around for a while, like I have, it's like, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, my, re- my realization in between projects right now is learning piano. That's my, oh, great. My new, because I've done every other instrument. I used to play in uh, drums and guitar and metal bands and even screamed or sang at one point. But then now I'm a bit mellow and in age. I'm, I'm, I'm 35 now. So I'm, I'm slowing down a little bit. And I've always wanted to do the piano. I've never, ever learned it. So it's, it's my new project at night. I'm, I'm trying to learn some. Good on you, my friend. Uh, you know, on, on a graduation day, 1984, the day before graduation day, 1984. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, there was, uh, there were still two members of the music department who had not passed their basic piano exams. Uh-huh. One of them was Michael Land, and the other was Peter McConnell. <laughs> I was well, the last to pass. Yeah. And it, there you go. It was a gift. Let me tell you, I, I have to, I have to, uh, I have to, uh, uh, you know, I try to, I'm a little better than I was then. And it's right. my goal to be a, a, a decent piano player one day. Yeah. Cause it sure does help. It takes a while. I've definitely seen people. I mean, we were lucky. The guy I was talking about pre uh, Sean, one of the guys I've done the game jam with in November, he was, uh, a professional level pianist when he was 15 he was playing for people and uh and, you know the rich people in the parlors he was mm-hmm. doing the jazz piano in the background when he was 15 16 years old and now he's in his 20s and when we got to play when we got to make uh a tomato mare which is our, our game i'll send you i'll send you the soundtrack he's got the soundtrack up separately but he wrote a whole jazz jazz inspired piano piece for the three levels we've done and uh he wrote them in two days and uh I can I tell you it was some of the best music I've ever heard in a game. It was incredible. Yeah, I, sh- I shall pass it on. Sean, if you're listening, I know you're probably losing your mind right now, but I will send Peter your work. <laughs> I'm sure you'll love it. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yes, indeed. Um, okay, so Peter, I'll let you get on with your night because, of course, you know, like everybody else, you have work to do. I'm sure you're you're busy with whatever you're working on at the moment. Of yeah. course. Uh, we got to yeah, do some indeed. guitar tracks today. Yeah. Fantastic. Awesome. Great. Uh, 
thank you for coming on and giving up your time. It has been a real pleasure to talk to you about music. Um, well, thank you, Gordon. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Um, for anybody who's still listening, thank you for making it this far. Um, if you want to reach out to Peter or check out any of his work, I'll leave all his links in the description. You can check out all of his socials, his website, and, and anything he's worked on. Um, his his music is far and wide in the games industry. I'm sure you'll be able to listen to something. And uh, and yeah, if you have any comments or questions, leave them down below. Um, I'm always happy to get back to people or pass anything on to Peter if you want me to ask anything specifically. But yeah, uh, thanks to you guys for listening. Thanks to Peter. Um, check out our links below. Also, we have a Discord at the moment um, that you guys can get involved in and, and share your work. Um, a couple of other links for the, the podcast. We're on various podcast services spotify google podcasts uh itunes and of course we're on youtube so uh so yeah just, just check out any of the stuff you want and uh hopefully you enjoyed it we'll speak to you guys later thanks again to peter thanks again to you and we'll speak to you guys later bye guys bye bye